When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hey there, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. I'm your host, Aaron Sagers, author, journalist, researcher of weird things. Also, you can catch me on 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel and the Max Streaming Service. So let's talk about this episode's guest, Joe Bob Briggs. When I was a kid growing up in Orlando, Florida, the newspaper, the Orlando Sentinel, ran this column from Joe Bob, and it just sucked me in at a pretty young age. You had this voice of an irascible redneck who would expound on the schlock and awe of drive-in movies and B-movies and uh, just those movies that are considered disposable by a lot of elements of the mainstream. So I loved it because Joe Bob clearly had an appreciation for cinema but also appreciated the films that were dismissed by others. Little did I know at the time that Joe Bob Briggs, the stage name of John Bloom, was also the host of Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater on the Movie Channel, which ran from 1986 to 96. Then he did Monster Vision on TNT, which ran from 96 to 2000. Joe Bob has been hosting the last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, on the Shutter streaming service since 2018. And on the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs, he hosts eclectic horror movie double features. He expounds on their merits, histories, and significance to genre. And he also does that with Darcy the Male Girl. Love Darcy. And the last drive-in is in the midst of a supersized sixth season with more than 30 titles. And it just had its Halloween special, but there are more specials on the way for Christmas and Valentine's Day. So Joe Bob, a.k.a. John, joined me for a chat about his love of horror, as well as those early days as a columnist, and then also about going to acting school in New York City, as well as his desire to do a President's Day special at some point, which I would like to see happen. So here it is, Joe Bob Briggs. Thanks so much for... uh... (laughs) Spending time with me today. How are you doing today? I'm I'm good. I remember you from when I was a kid, and then I think years ago, we're talking probably about 10 years ago, I was starting to do my own work at uh, horror cons and whatnot, and I think you did like this Spooky Empire event in Orlando. Um, and, you know, it's... I did. Was that, one in, was that the one in the, in the terrible rainstorm where everyone got had to trek through the mud. I do, yeah. I do remember being there. Yes. Yes, indeed. And it, it was one of those situations too, where they had intended at this horror event to have this, um, I guess, pool party. And 
sure enough, even though it was a lightning storm, even though it was raining terribly, people were still diving into the pool and you you saw a poolside littered with uh, Michael Myers, people dressed up as Michael Myers and uh, Jason Voorhees and Freddy, despite the uh, the actual threat to life from a lightning storm. <laughs> Well, that's because they don't live in Florida, so they don't, so they don't, they don't sense the extreme danger of weather in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I think that must be it. I mean, the, at this point in your career, you must have done, I'm guessing, a lot of uh, these these kinds of events. Is it is it a surreal experience for for you showing up uh, and and being at a table? alongside like your Adrian Barbos and Robert Englands and Elvira's? Um, I never, I never get tired of it really because of the variety of uh, people that you meet. Um, you know, I've spent most of my life in a, uh, alone in a room as a writer, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a lonely existence. And so the fact that there are all these people that want to that want to meet me and talk it's like kind of amazing to me and um uh and they're from all walks of life and so it's it's kind of it's it's kind of interesting i don't really like being there for days day after day after day it gets kind of exhausting but um uh in short doses uh it's it's a lot of fun um so, uh, so no, I, I, st I still do the events. I don't do as many of them as I used to, but, um, I still do several, several events per year. Um, and, um, and, and I always have, uh, I, I always have a good time They they, they get, it used to be mainly in the South. Now it can be anywhere. <laughs> it's you're in this unique position because when you go, let's say even um, Cassandra Peterson, who is known for her character of Elvira, she goes to the events and other than maybe a photo op where she's dressed as Elvira, people meet Cassandra and they get they get the autographs from Cassandra. Whereas when you do these events, you're the mask doesn't really slip because you're you're Joe Bob the entire time. Is that a bit tiring for you? No, not really, because um, over the years, uh, the uh, the uh, persona, the, the personas have merged and kind of melded together. And so I always compare it. You know, uh, when I first started, when I started, first started writing that column, you wrote, you, you were reading in the um, Orlando paper. Um, uh, Joe, Joe Bob was a full-on character. And then um, over the years, I discovered what, what the most interesting uh, satirical form you can use is um, half fiction and half reality. Um, this is actually the secret to professional wrestling and a lot of other things. Um, it's not, it's not uh, real and it's not unreal. And so, and so, um, I created, um, I, I created this, uh, world that I live in and, um, and, uh, it's, it's very easy for me to, for me to, uh, talk to people, um, as Joe Bob, uh, because it's not that different than if I was talking to them as John. So it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's the same thing now. 
it's 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 it, there's there's very little difference between the two when uh my background is as a my professional background is as a journalist and a writer and entertainment writer and then i i reached a point with my career where i started being on camera and it was a surreal transition because going from finding your voice on the page even if at times it, it's a little bit uh snarky or whatever the the voice is on the page to then suddenly being that person out front is i found it to be a bit of a transition i'm like who am i who who is this guy on camera was it odd at all when you started doing the on camera st early on when suddenly you had to figure out am i comfortable being on camera is this a natural fit what was that transition well camera was always comfortable because it was just like you know it's just six people in a concrete room it wasn't that it wasn't that intimidating what was intimidating was live appearances i i i started my my very first live appearance there were about a thousand people there and um and i i i went up on my lines halfway through the thing i had all these songs that i, that I had all these parody country western songs that i had that i had written and i'd gotten a pickup band to back me up on those and um it was just this uh uh, I had I had thought that I could you know sneak into town and try out some material. This this was in Cleveland, by the way. I thought I could sneak into town, try out some material. It was on the entertainment page of um, USA Today that yeah. I was in town that day, and so uh, and so a thousand people showed up, and I really wasn't ready to do you know um live stand-up so my bat baptism of fire was so brutal that um i was exceptionally prepared from then on for every time i appeared on stage uh because of that horrible experience and um uh, and i also discovered from that how forgiving um my fans are it's like they were they were like well we knew it was your first time show up <laughs> And, uh, and, and so it was, uh, uh, they were actually, uh, very kind to, to my, to my poor performance in the very first show. And so, uh, and that's been the, the whole history of my career is like, uh, even my failures, uh, get, get, um, uh, even my failures, uh, get forgiven by the, by the, uh, fan base. And so, uh, and I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the closeness that I have to the to the uh, people who watch the show or read the columns or read the books. It's a nice position to be in now that uh, yeah, people are uh, for have been forgiving and now they know you enough that they're they're just on board with you. the The performative streak, where does that come from? I mean, again, having someone that can be funny, on the page versus doing it in person was that just was that from your upbringing was that is that texan is that arkansas where where does the performative streak come in well i'm not sure it certainly didn't come naturally because um you know in in the 80s suddenly i was getting all these invitations to to speak at places and to perform at places. And it was the comedy club era. And, um, uh, and 
I was actually getting a lot of big auditions for films and things. And I was not ready. I was not prepared. I was not able to do that stuff. And um, I, I said to my, I said to the agent that was representing me at the time, I said, you know, is there some place I can go and get trained? And they said, well, yeah, you can go to, you can go to, you should go to acting class. And I said, no, I hate acting class. I hate it. It's like, you know, that's like the thing you do in high school where they say, you know, act like a tree. And, you know, and, and I, I, don't, I said, I hate that stuff. It's like, I said, no, 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 no. You got to go to real acting class. You got to go to like method acting. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, where is that? And I said, well, there's only two places. You got to go to L.A. or New York. And I said, what's the difference? And he said, uh, well, New York is the old theater guys from the thir- from the 1930s, you know, who came up who came up through the uh, the group theater and the Stanislavski and all that. And they um, and the, and I said, well, what's the L.A. guys? Well, the L.A. guys are the students of the New York guys. And I said, well, I don't want the students. I'm going to New York. So I went to New York and I studied for about six years with um, Fred Kerman, who was one of the original Meisner technique guys. And that gave me the confidence to do all this other stuff. You know, I wasn't going to like be an actor. On I, I was I, I worked with a lot of actors, you know, who were real actors, you know, worked on Broadway, did, did films, did TV. And I never did much of that stuff. Occasionally I would be asked to do it. But it gave me the confidence to to um, to, to, to go out there and be willing to fall on my face and test myself and and, uh, uh, you know, do things that I wouldn't have otherwise done. Because those, you know, those New York acting classes are serious. They are serious, and they don't mess around, and they give you the tools that you need to um, survive. Um, there were a lot of people in those classes that uh, dropped out. They couldn't take it. It was too intense, you know. And uh, but I loved it. I loved it. I was like, boy, you're giving me, you're giving me. Uh, you know, I was I was such a good student. You know, you're giving me tools I can use to survive on the stage. That's what I want. You know, and so, um, so that was that was a turning point for me. Is you know, traditional New York uh, uh, acting training. Um, you know, uh, all those all those guys who have come, all those thousands of people that have come through that system. I, 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 I would, I would recommend, I, re- I recommend that to every person who tells me they want to be an actor is go to New York, get in one of those method classes. That's the only way to do it. So, See, I, um, did not, I did not know that about you with the, I, I mean, I, I kind of, I did not know that there was the, the actual acting class background uh, behind the drive-in before you know, the, the origins. <laughs> <laughs> was was there ever a temptation for you to kind of take that hosty character and persona and the fandom that you'd been built building up to like you know okay now i'm going to be the you know i'm i'm gonna go do more of the acting uh in a i don't want to say legit but in a more you know uh straightforward manner no i mean i've i i, I have done Acting when people asked me to do it, and 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 when I was out of jobs between the uh, between the uh, uh, the time I was at um, uh, uh, 
uh, well, before I went to TNT, but after I was at Showtime or right. the movie channel, um, I, I, I did go out on acting auditions. I got Casino. I was in Casino and right. I was in uh, Face Off and, um, and, and some other little things. But that was such a short period that, um, you know, I, I was I was glad that it was over because, frankly, I, I get bored as an actor. You know, you, I, sitting around talking about your character, waiting to go on uh, on a film set. You know, you wait all day to to uh, for them to light you and you go do four lines and then you come back tomorrow. It's like, no, that's not me. I'm a I'm a born doer. I'm a born writer. I want to be out there, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to be involved with making the product, not just being the face of the product. And so um, that, that act, the acting life, I, I have I have friends who are great actors and uh, and that's what they do best. And they have that, um, you know, emotional intensity and emotional intelligence. And I don't have that. I, I just don't I, I just don't have that thing where you can you know go off and work two weeks on your character or something like that I, I it's like I don't I can't do that in fact they bore me to tears you know it's like I'm going to talk about my character no you're not shut up have another drink you know <laughs> just like, I don't even I don't even I don't, so I'm, I'm not um uh I'm I, I I love actors. I I'm amazed at what they can do, but I'm not really an actor. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I I I feel like I can appreciate a degree of what you're saying. I and I, you know, I think coming from that, the you know the early career of like I mean you were you were a pretty young sports writer and and did you know you you did enough reporting and writing and then obviously. You know, I know you wrote the Evidence of Love, a uh, true crime book. The do you in your mind do you kind of define yourself at this point as still a writer or as a TV host? Still primarily a writer. That's what that's what I'll always be. I I don't um, you know uh, um, doing the doing the TV show as a host is like a vacation for me. Yeah, we show down. We, you know, I, I, I go to, I go to the studio, and you know, there's a bunch of people, and you talk, and you, you know, they build a set for you, and you, and you, you, you sit there, and you, and you, uh, you know, I, I have fun hosting the movies, and then I go back to my real life, which is sitting in front of the computer all day. Yeah, it's. <laughs> So. It's, it's kind of easy because not easy, but it's kind of like easy compared to writing something either on a deadline or working on a book, dealing with editors, constantly revising, putting that thing together, which is, I think it was, I, I, I want to say Dorothy Parker. I forget who exactly said this, but I don't, I don't love writing. I love having written. I think that that's kind of uh, sometimes my opinion on it. Whereas when you do, something like TV or on camera, it's done. They call cut and it's, it's, it's now out of your control. Is that, yeah, which is, which can be good or bad. I mean, depending on how you felt like you did, but, but yeah, once it's over, it's over. It's, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like tennis. 
It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difference between tennis and golf, you know. In tennis, you make a mistake and, like, you, you can't think about it because five seconds later you're playing again. In golf, you make a mistake and it's like you got 15 minutes before you, before you can get over thinking about that mistake. Yeah. You know, and so it's it's kind of it's kind of like that. It's like uh, um, uh, shooting shooting TV is uh, is uh, uh, fast and um, and the way the way I to the extent that I have any control over over the shooting, um, I don't ever like to do a second take or a, or anything. I, I leave all the mistakes in. Um, because I like that, I like that live feel. Sometimes we are live, but if we're not live, um, I like it to feel live. Yeah. And so, uh, so I don't, um, I, I don't ever like to redo things. We just, we just do it once and that's it. And if there's mistakes in it, well, life has mistakes in it. <laughs> you know? the- um, with the early columns, I remember uh, this moment of, I forget exactly what year, but I think it was definitely during a time where I was, you know, spending my own money, engaging with stuff in the way that I wanted to. And, but I, I remember showing one of the, one of the columns to my mom who said the, this is so stupid. And this was, this was the sign of, this was a seal of approval for me that if, if it's not for necessarily my mom then it meant that it was it was probably more for me and i think there's this element with this mutant family of we're the you know we'll always be the weirdos even if even if weird is mainstream now we'll always be the weirdos and always have a bit of that outcast streak would you agree with that with the fandom that's built up around you um yeah I mean, uh, you know, the, especially with the horror audience, uh, the horror audience is, um, I, and I didn't know this when I first started doing these shows, you know, back in the 80s, uh, but um, a lot of people who are misfits in life uh, gravitate towards horror. Um, there have been, there was a, there's a very prominent um, movie executive who, um Told, told me that um, that he used to sneak away to the well, when he was a kid he used to sneak away to the um, theaters of uh, 42nd Street and um, and uh, watch watch movies that his family didn't approve of and then sneak back home and that when he first watched my show I, I validated I validated his feelings and um Actually, and and he felt better about his habit. Before that, he felt like he it was a guilty, it, it was something to be ashamed of that he liked, <laughs> the, what I call drive-in movies, what people call exploitation movies, um, and a lot of people who had um, uh, who grew up in um, abusive homes and uh, sought solace in movies. Um, they've said the same thing to me. A lot of um, a lot of gay people who grew up in the time when you had to hide the fact that you were gay um, have said the same thing to me that they found solace in my um, uh, misfit type reviews. Um, and 
they 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 felt some validation from that. Um, uh, in fact, there's a there's a strong connection that I don't entirely understand, but there is a strong connection between the gay community and the horror community. Um, uh, I and I, I asked the Boulay brothers to explain it to me, and and they said, well, you know, <laughs> they said, well, it's complicated, and I said, okay. I guess I can't understand it. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, the um, uh, uh, the uh, the 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 yeah, the, there's 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 something about horror that uh, has to be on the outlaw side of life, and um, if it's not, then it doesn't quite pay off. You know, when people try to do nice horror, when when people try to do horror for children for for young children, it doesn't really work. Um, it were it you you'd be better off making, you know, monster cartoons or something. Um, uh, horror horror has to upset the uh, upset the balance of life, and um, and and when it does, people love it and they get that thrill and they feel validated somehow, and. Um, which is a which is a great thing. That's great people to have on your side, <laughs> and so, and that's what we call the mutant family. And it's like this idea of, you know, now we now you see this kind of label thrown around a lot, elevated horror. Which I don't even know what it is. I don't even like that label, but you see that thrown around a lot. And then there's this notion of schlock or drive-in or exploitation, which. You know, even that is like sometimes it seems a little bit uh, malleable, difficult to get, grab your hands around. Um, but from your perspective, like, how do you look at what the balance is of good horror versus horror so bad it's good versus horror that's just bad? And I guess maybe within that, it's like horror that takes itself too seriously or not seriously enough. I don't know. Well, I think. Elevate when people use the term elevated horror, that's usually people who don't like horror. They don't like horror, but they like some particular movie that's basically an art film that has horror elements. And so they don't have a very wide definition of horror. Um, but they say, but elevated horror. I don't like horror, but I like elevated horror. It's it's like it's like somebody who says, you know, um, well. I don't like country music, but I like Lyle Lovett, you know, <laughs> and so, and so, um, and, and so that's, to me, that's a, that's a, you know, a ridiculous way to categorize anything. What is elevated, what is for smart people, what is not, it's not for everybody, you know, it's cliquish, it's elitist. I don't know what they mean by it exactly, but, um, that's not good. Um, the, uh, uh, I, I have a very wide um, uh, definition of horror. I mean, it, it includes a lot of different things. It includes, for example, it includes most uh, Lifetime movies. There's a period. There's a period when Lifetime TV decided to go almost entirely to psychological horror for their movie of the week. You know, in the in the in the early days of um, lifetime the movies were all about female empowerment um and then as time and 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 sort of uh 
they had male um, antagonists. As time went on, it became female psychos, and 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 um, and 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 as the and as the psychos got psychoer, <laughs> they, they they made more and more and more of them, and so um, the sort of um, uh, the 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 sort of uh, uh, Norman Bates figures, but in a female body, um, of of has been appropriated by the Lifetime Network. So there's a lot of horror that's uh, called other names. Um, you know, uh, a, a lot of the um, a lot of the asylum movies you might think are. Um, uh, you know, I, I consider creature features horror, yeah. and so Sharknado—that's horror. <laughs> you know, it's comedy horror, but it's horror. Um, uh, you know, people people always ask me, "Is is Jaws horror?" Well, of course, Jaws is horror. There's a big monster eating people. <laughs> of course, it's horror. You know, it's like I don't know why they, but they they sort of they sort of want to say, you know, I really like Jaws, but I don't think I like horror. So is Jaws horror? And it's like yes, yes, you've just watched a horror film. You know, don't you feel like you've been run over by a dump truck after you watched that film? I think, <laughs> I think that goes back to kind of what you were saying about the elevated horror label, which I agree with. It's 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 kind of and and kind of goes back to that. Uh, producer that you knew who said that he sneaks away to watch the horror movies it's people that maybe still feel like there's that stigma or a shame to say they like horror movies instead they're like yes but i i don't like horror but i like elevated horror elevated horror is good it's just they're they're looking for that excuse to not be labeled as a horror nerd i guess yeah I can't tell you I can't tell you how many people come up to the autograph table at these conventions and it can be it, either way a, a, a wife a husband a boyfriend a girlfriend and the and one of the one of the two will say um well I'm the I'm the horror fan and she's learning you know <laughs> and and there'll be like a couple and one of and one of the one of them will be a horror fan, and the other one won't be, and the, and they'll like convert them into, into love of horror. And I'm like, wow, no other genre is like this where you have to be converted in, into liking it. And uh, and many people do get converted into liking it. And I consider the last drive-in the gateway drug for that. You know, we we bring we bring so many people into the horror fold. Just because, um, I don't know, I think because uh, we we try to talk about the movies in a fun way. And so it's somebody somebody who can't overcome their fear or can't overcome their cultural contempt of horror, you know, can sometimes be um, uh, convinced um, by watching a couple of episodes of our show, which they're only going to watch if their significant other is is watching and so uh that happens quite a bit and um uh it's it's strange you don't you don't have people saying well my wife used to not like action movies but now she loves the monster trucks and she you know it's like you don't really 
Yeah. <laughs> you don't really have that with any other genre. No, I have not. I can honestly say I've never heard that uh, line uttered before, but you have. <laughs> I mean, now the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs, and we get this super-sized sixth season on Shudder, and this is going to have more than 30 titles. You're going to, you've got Halloween episodes on the way, but what's honestly even more exciting to be is you've got a Christmas special and a Valentine's day special. So I guess break down a little bit as much as you can, this super sized sixth season and really what you have in store and maybe some changes that you can tease out. Well, mostly it's uh, we, uh, traditionally we've had the th- the three the three annual specials. We've had uh, Halloween, uh, Christmas, and Valentine's Day, and we're just going to have more specials. And we're going to have some mer- mini marathons, and some weeks we're just going to do a single movie, which we've never done before, because certain certain movies are just better to be treated that way, and. Um, uh, and we, we've always had this problem. People like to watch us on the live feed that's on um, Friday night at 9, Friday nights at 9, 9 p.m. Because they go online and they uh, talk and debate and uh, comment uh, to each other about the, uh, about the movie and about the show. And... Um, that's been a tradition since day one of the show. And so um, a lot of times uh, the people on the, because I talk so much, <laughs> the, people, the people on the East Coast have to stay up till 2.30 or 3 o'clock. And so, um, uh, and the people on the West Coast have to hurry home from work so they can catch it at 6, at 6 p.m., and so um, we decided we would have some weeks where we have a single movie where we try to split the difference and have a, a time slot that's uh, favorable to both coasts and um, sort of consolidate our audience. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, but at the same time, by having those single, those single weeks, we can be on more weeks and we can also have more um, specials. Uh, you know, I, I've always, um, I've always, I've always wanted to do President's Day, and they'll never let me do President's Day uh, because it comes too close to other holidays, you know, mm-hmm. and so they won't let me do it. But I want, I've always wanted to do President's Day so that I could honor William Henry Harrison, the president that only served 31 days in office before he died, because I think every president should serve 31 days in office. And so we're going to do this. We're going to do this massive tribute to William Henry Harrison. I'm, I'm still waiting to do it. And, and so one of these years, they're going to let me do it. So I just want so to see. Anyway. The, I want to see the marketing talks that that happens around that special <laughs> about the William Henry Harrison uh, last drive-in special. <laughs> I know that's that's why they won't let me do it. They say there's no way to promote that, and nobody cares about President's Day. And I'm like, and I'm like, well, okay. So, and so we do we do Valentine's. I say no, it's too close to Valentine's Day. So we do Valentine's Day instead. And last last season, we actually married a couple on air um, on the Valentine's Day special, 
at a Las Vegas wedding chapel. And lo and behold, they're still married. <laughs> their their families were a little bit taken aback because we paired them with uh, Necromantic. You know, the, the first movie was Phantom of the Mall. Well, that's okay. That's sort of okay. The second movie was Necromantic. <laughs> and so, and so their families, their families were like, "What? Why are why are we watching this movie about necrophilia in the middle of a wedding?" <laughs> and and they said, "Well, okay, they're in the mutant fam. Sorry, <laughs> you know." <laughs> I mean, they approved it. <laughs> maybe maybe that's just the secret sauce to a lasting relationship. I mean, they're coming up on an anniversary. Maybe so. so. If they can endure that, they can endure anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> what are what are you watching? Like when uh you know the bolo tie and the shirt is off. Like what when you're at home, you know, are you are you still watching horror? And what's what's some of the stuff that you've gotten into recently that you could talk about? Well, I really I really do love horror, so. And and it's hard to keep up because there's so much of it now. Um, so I am watching a lot of horror, but um, I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of many types of film. I mean, I I, I love. We have this uh, watch along that the Patreon group does once a month, and and they said, "What's what's your favorite?" They they're horror fans, but they said, "What's your favorite movie that's not horror?" And I thought about it, and I said. Let's watch This Is Spinal Tap. I said, I never get tired of This Is Spinal Tap. <laughs> and so we watched that. And um, another time I said, I said, okay, we're going to have a tribute to John Meston. Nobody knows who John Meston is. And that's because he spent his entire writing career doing Gunsmoke. He wrote like 400 radio and TV episodes of Gunsmoke. And he was a great writer. He's never really, really um, recognized. But I said, we're going to watch two of the greatest Gunsmoke episodes and break them down. And so we did that, you know. Um, uh, I, I like uh, I like film noir a lot, um, mm. you know. I've actually made the argument at Shudder, haven't won this argument yet, that film noir is is... It may not be horror, but it's horror adjacent. Oh, and sure. That we should, and that we should do that. We we should do a night of um, of of hardcore fifties film noir, you know, or maybe even forties film noir before they started censoring the scripts. Um, and uh, we we probably will do that at some point. Um, uh, so I mean, I, I I watch a lot of different types of. Uh, film well i totally agree with you as far as the uh the film noir considering um you know i mean even look at uh like key largo the tension in that is very um very very horror uh adjacent and uh and hey even norm yeah. uh, mestin like he did write little house on the prairie he wrote some episodes for that so uh that had some great or john mestin had some great uh horror episodes uh but we are we're running out of time and i i was kind of curious just if there was i love getting like a sense of urban legends or creepy stories from people's backgrounds and i was just curious is there any 
creepy stories, urban legends, creepy old house at the end of the block from when you were a little kid and Little Rock or Tennessee when you're a little bit older or Dallas even anything that comes to mind? Um, there was, I mean, when I was a teenager, there was this, um, there was this ghost story legend where, uh, called, um, uh, about the, uh, the suitcase man and, uh, the suitcase man was horribly deformed and had a, um, he only had half of a, of a face because the rest of his face had been burned off. And there was this whole story you could tell. And if you drove out um, Highway 10 outside of uh, Little Rock and you timed the story just exactly um, perfectly in the, in the middle of the night, um, the suitcase man would appear on this, right, at the, right at the climax of the story on the side of the road. Now, the first time it was played on me, I was terrified. My entire body, you know, trembled from the suitcase man appearing. And um, I, I, it was far enough outside of town that nobody, like, went out there to check what it was. Uh, it, it was some kind of, it, it was some kind of electrical highway box on the side of the road that looked like a, that looked like a suitcase. And, um, and, uh, Next to it, there was some kind of uh, jerry-rigged um, uh, uh, contraption that had been built there at, at some time that looked sort of half-human. And so when it appeared in the lights of the cars, <laughs> you, so, you would just jump out of your skin because it, it, was a, it was a permanent thing there, and somebody had invented the suitcase man legend around it to take advantage of the fact that it looked like a man standing there. It looked like a deformed man standing there with a suitcase. And so the legend was invented as a, as a scare tactic to scare you so bad. You practically wreck your car when you, when you come around this corner. That's that was the, that was the best ghost story trick I ever, I ever uh, encountered in my life. Um, probably wasn't spread very far because, you know, somebody's going to go out there in the daytime and look at it and see what it really is. But, um, but, uh, I think I could, if it's still there, I could probably still tell the, uh, the, uh, suitcase man, uh, ghost legend and, and, uh, scare whoever was with me. I did it to my sisters. They, <laughs> they were screaming. They were screaming in the car. I, I absolutely love that because with a lot of stories, there's, you know, the specific kind of rituals set up as to be on the coldest night of the year. You have to say Bloody Mary's name and then, you know, turn clockwise or whatever. But, you know, there's not always that payoff, but yours kind of started with the payoff and then the legend was built around that. So I love that. And you had to time the story. So when you came around this certain corner, there was the suitcase man. He just appeared in the light, in the headlights of the car. And of course, if you were traveling, say, you know, 40 miles an hour, then you could only see him for like three or four seconds, but you, but it was enough, you know, <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, you didn't, nobody wanted to go back. I, I absolutely love that. Well, I, I know I've got to let you go, but uh, I just want to say before I do so, like, 
like I said, reading reading the original columns in the Orlando Sentinel and then uh, you know watching the Shutter Show, something that struck me is when I was younger, before I became a writer myself, it's like I didn't quite understand the whole notion of of syndication. So like you were this local guy to me who was writing this interesting stuff and it was inspiring because it made me laugh, but it also like tapped into my love of movies and horror movies at the time. So I, I think that that definitely was that little seed of inspiration that I then took forward in my own career, talking about movies and interviewing people and everything. So uh, I thank you for that. Well, thank you for, uh, for uh, being one of my, uh, you know, fans of that column uh, back in the day, because the column was considered very controversial, and most editors didn't want to print it. And uh, there was just a, there was just a handful of editors around the country who even thought that those kinds of movies were worthy. Were mo- mo- most most newspaper editors thought those movies were disposable trash and shouldn't be reviewed at all. And um, uh, it's like I I got. I got kind of, I got kind of uh, weirded out because um, the Washington Post called up and said they wanted, uh, they wanted to do a, a feature on me. This is recently, and I said, "Oh, the place where Ben Bradley, the famous editor of the Washington Post, would take my column and put it on the bulletin board so everyone could read it, but would never put it actually in the Washington Post." <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> it, like, it used to piss me off so much. I would go to I would go to the AP managing editors convention, and all these editors would say, "Oh man, I love it. It's so funny." Well, would you put it in your paper? No, nah, we can't put that. You know, we can't put that stuff in our paper. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm so grateful to papers like Orlando and San Francisco and a few others across the country who said, "We'll we'll we'll support this. This is this is this is funny stuff." So. <laughs> well, the arc of history is long, and I would say that the uh, the mutants uh, have won. So <laughs> the mutant fan. <laughs> so uh, uh, thank you so much for your time. I hope we get a chance to speak again in the future. And hey, man, maybe I'll even see you at a, a comic con or horror con in person. Great. Right. Thank you. And that was Joe Bob Briggs of the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs on the Shutter streaming service. And I am Aaron Sagers, and that is it for this episode of Talking Strange. Until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.